Welcome to the ETPHTG podcast, episode number 54 with myself and Anna. Han- Anna ha- uh, hi Anna, how are you? <laughs> Hello, I am well, thank you. How are you? I am well, thank you. I was just saying before this podcast, you dressed up for the occasion, which is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to make a special effort, didn't I? <laughs> yes, you did, because we have Denai here. Hi Denai. Hi Amelia, hi Anna. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. I think this is my... This is my first podcast with you guys, so really honoured to be here. Oh, the honour wears off very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, are, however, are honoured to have you. I mean, Anna, Anna will only wash her hair for this whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah. this week, it's back to filth from Anna. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I didn't have the same mentality today. Sorry. Um, I don't think anything's happened this week that we want to chat about, has there? Has, has anything happened? Exciting. Um, no. I've had a couple of questions. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, you I was just going to say, I had a couple of questions from, from clients that we can uh, talk about. Well, I don't know well, if you guys had any questions from either client. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot today, actually. Many, many, many this week. Um, one thing that I did see this week before we crack on with client questions was that is it Norway or Sweden? That yes, are... Norway unfiltered photos. Yeah, they've made it legal. Oh, yeah, yeah, you have to say, don't you? You have to say if you're using filters and stuff. How good is that? Amazing. No, I haven't seen that actually. Where did you see that? I saw it on someone's Instagram page and yeah. then I looked it up. Um, but it's just, it's just fantastic. I just think. Hope, I'd, I would like to think that paves the way for everyone else, but I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But even, like, you know, even the Instagram versus reality pictures that you see on Instagram with the, this is my cellulite and this is not, a lot of them are still filtered. A lot of them are still edited in some way, sometimes to make it look worse. Sometimes even just the colours, I don't know how much they have to talk about, but I think it would just be, it would be so insightful to have all of your feed say this is this has been edited in some way. Um, because even I'll like I'll brighten a picture, for example, and I think, well, I've brightened it, that's technically still editing it. And I do think that that should be transparent. It would be really interesting to see how people's if people changed the way they did things. I think the quote unquote real pictures would be an interesting one to see actually how real they are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think people will still find ways to sort of uh, manipulate it in a way, you know. You, I think, although you cannot put a filter, you can still choose the, let me go and just, you know, sit in a position where the lighting is good or pose in a way that doesn't show off my insecurities or my so-called flows. Yeah, for sure. There definitely will be. I mean, yeah, I use a ring light, for example. <laughs> Game changer. <laughs> I've been reunited with mine after being in boxes. I finally found it because I was like, I don't know when I'm going to move in. I'm going to have to sort this out. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, don't look awful. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is what I actually look like. I feel like that now if I ever put makeup on, I think I'm not actually hideous. Like, you know, not that I to say, to ever t- say to myself every day I'm hideous, but you know, you just get used to your face the way that it is. Then you put makeup on one day and you're like, oh, I actually look quite nice. I can make an effort. Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't so know if you found it because uh, that happened last week when I went out for a meal and I was like but I didn't actually like the feel of it on my skin anymore mm, I hate it like that is I, I think I said when we were coming out of the last lockdown that I was like I've just gotten used to the fact that I'm not wearing makeup and I quite like it and so yeah. now when I put it on I'm like Ooh, just I can feel it and I used to wear it every day yeah, don't you just think I'm just going to wake up tomorrow with acne because of all the stuff in my pocket? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I used I used to actually struggle with really bad acne when I was uh, younger. To be honest, up until a few years ago, and what helped massively was stop using as much makeup. It sounds yeah. it's, it's a tough one, right? Because you're using it to hide your your spots because you're feeling insecure. But actually, that then makes it even worse. Yeah. So I just had to make the decision, be like, you you you've got this. And now I can't even imagine myself go going to the gym with makeup I couldn't even leave the house to go supermarket without makeup a few years ago it was crazy god (laughs) uh I don't I don't know if I've ever been that way 
but I have like right now I've got really bad maskne. It's like the combination of hormones combined with a week of wearing a mask, and it just looks like I'm 12 again with wrinkles. It's just not a great look. <laughs> I digress. This is just turned into moaning. Um, let us crack on with questions. So, Denai, do you want to go first since you said you've got some questions? Do you want to crack on with them? Yeah, I've only got a couple. I've started with one that's a bit more straightforward. So um, any tips for pre-workout snacks, particularly if any difference for cardio versus strength training? Just want to make sure I'm making good choices that help with the rest of the structure of my eating for the day. We did that question last week, didn't we? Yeah, I was going to say we did that one. Oh, I mean, we were both already covered it. <laughs> we have already covered it. It just makes me hungry. Um, yeah, we did. We covered that one last week. What about your other one? Okay, that. let me say the other one. So that's slightly longer. If I feel an urge to binge, ride the wave and then eat something, for example, a bit of chocolate, but without binging, is this still not really dealing with the fact that I'm using food as comfort or distraction? I'm not sure if I should be feeling good that I have not binged or still have work to do as I haven't really found a distraction with something else. It's more that I have delayed and then been able to eat more mindfully. I think, yeah, I mean, that's a huge win. It's much harder to eat two squares of chocolate and not overeat it than not eat any chocolate at all and not overeat. That's why people who go on meal plans say who are on rigid diet plans say that they didn't overeat or they didn't binge eat when they were on a diet plan and they think it's because the diet plan fixed it, but it's not it removed the problem so that as soon as they came off the diet plan, things got worse. So what this person has just described, obviously, is is great. That's fantastic. And I think it's really important. Hi Anastol, nice to have you back. It's back home. <laughs> <laughs> oh he's welcome um it's important i think to remember that you can have that you can comfort eat and that's okay and you can emotionally eat and that's okay you're human most of us do that and and as long as it's bringing you actual comfort and you think i really fancied that chocolate i had some chocolate i enjoyed it made me feel good and then i moved on that's really the most important thing that's completely fine and that's a healthful response it's just when it's your only coping strategy that it's not a helpful response. So I think that's, I think that's really great. Yeah, I think you summed it up uh, really well. It's about, it, it becomes a conscious choice, does, doesn't it? Instead of being a compulsion uh, or an urge that we feel that we have no control over. And I think that's what it makes it such a great uh, pro progress. And also, a lot of the things I say to the clients when it comes to the binge eating, sometimes you may find yourself reaching out for food again even though it hasn't helped even though it's not actually helping you at the moment but actually because you've managed to put a little pause even if it's been for a few minutes or let's say half an hour still you dissociate that urge from immediately reacting and taking action on it and that's still great progress and over time almost making that pause even longer you you dissociate the urge versus the action exactly so exactly. it's great yeah agree Anna, question. Yes. Um, I know that building muscle can be pretty difficult, but is maintaining muscle as hard? I've heard that maintaining muscle mass is nowhere near as difficult as building. And in terms of your physique, can you maintain muscle and your physique if you were to reduce training sessions from, say, five times to three times a week? <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Yes, it's easier to maintain muscle because as long as you are still, as long as you are still progressing in some way, you're still going to maintain muscle. If you lower your volume, but you're still um, progressing in some way, and I don't necessarily always mean increasing your volume week on week, but as long as it's not going down or you're not working at a lower RP or a higher reps in reserve over time, and you're maintaining a certain intensity of training, which will mean that your volume will be going up slightly in terms of, even if it's just weight, and I don't mean like six reps, days, et cetera, that doesn't have to change. But even if the weight is slowly creeping up, then you're gonna be maintaining muscle. It's much easier to maintain muscle. I sometimes think if I had, didn't have a lot of muscle before, I would have no muscle now, but it just, I've done enough to maintain, which is just, is literally just consistently 
training and doing something and lifting to the same RPE. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, I mean, lockdown goes to prove it, doesn't it? Like we all felt kind of quite small and flat, perhaps, but it doesn't mean that our muscle went anywhere. And once we were back training in a normal way, it's still there. <laughs> like, yeah. It's always reassuring. Yeah, I know. I, I would like to know if it is still there. I would. I, I, obviously, I, I don't take pictures and stuff of myself, so I have no idea. I know my physique changed, but I, I would be interested to know how much muscle people actually did lose mm. by training at home. None of my clients appear to have lost any muscle, but then all of my clients were doing such good job training at home, and I was like, "Good job, <laughs> guys!" Putting me to shame. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna do some yoga, okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, no, it was crazy. And I think it's also something about, you know, making sure that you're fueling enough and keep, you know, keeping eating things like enough protein and all of that and you're not eating less. Because I think that's what happened a lot of the times. I, I, I mean, I found myself during the lockdown because I was moving less and I was also, I had a lower appetite, so I wasn't eat, eating as much, which I think led to actually losing some muscle as a result. Mm. Good point. Um. Yeah, welcome to club maintenance, whoever you are. That's, that's a fun place to be. Um, okay. What can be some of the reasons for scale weight change? I weighed myself for two consecutive days and it suddenly dropped a kilogram overnight. I know people's weight fluctuates, but that's quite significant for me. I know there can be things such as dehydration or being blunt and going to <laughs> having a big poo, but what other reasons could there be? We like bluntness here. Digestive issues, I think, are a massive one, especially if you struggle with things like IBS or bloating and water retention. If you've had more carbs, if you've had higher salt intake, basically what you've eaten throughout the day or the day before. Mm. Yep, strength, sleep and stress. What you trained the day before as well. I, I always used to hate it when I went down for my old uh check-ins with my old coach it'd always be like the day after leg day mm. and I'd be like I'm like a kilo and a half up this isn't this isn't accurate okay <laughs> yeah so background of that is that if you're training lower body usually you're in, you, you get doms is an inflammatory response so that's what's going on so that's why you might be well in Anna's case a kilo and a half heavier the next day because of that inflammatory response also you can often find that you um there's more muscle mass for glycogen storage and so if you maybe eat a little bit more on your lower body days maybe you're a bit hungrier every time you store a gram of carbohydrate you store three grams of water so if you have maybe one maybe you eat the same calories on two days right but one day you ate 300 grams of carbs and another day you ate 100 grams of carbs and then you just met the calories elsewhere the difference in water retention there in terms of within your intramuscular stores is huge so the difference in how much weight you could change is huge now glycogen stores don't normally change that much if you're day-to-day -day not in a deficit but if you're under eating a little bit some days or you're in a diet your glycogen stores can change quite a bit or if you're doing cardio or running around or yeah just slightly under fueling hormones as well can be a reason usually if it's a key yeah. overnight it's sleep isn't it usually it's because you, something's like you've maybe had a stressful few days and you've just had a good solid sleep and yeah it's usually yeah. and i guess that's the reason why we don't recommend people to weigh regular so regularly like every day well it's, it works both ways isn't it i think some people can really benefit from weighing every day so they can see how much it fluctuates and then other people if they have an emotive response to it every single time then just take it away Generally, my answer is taking it away and for most people, easier. Yeah, yeah. I think most of the clients I work with, it does tend to fit into yeah negative body image and negative self-talk. So it's it's much more beneficial to take it away. I think that's a really good point to, to make as in, I think everyone would benefit from questioning why they're weighing themselves. And I don't even mean in an anti-diet way. I mean, in any even people who are dropping body fat, what is it that scale weight is telling you that feeling and measurement and if you want to take pictures what is it giving you more than that are you weighing because there's an expectation for any fat loss person person going through fat loss to weigh themselves like what's the actual 
rationale because often it's because the people just like to see the numbers going down and that's not a really helpful place to be in terms of what happens then when they go up it doesn't and it's very the opposite of introspective it's very much like i'm using all of these external things even though i feel physically better i'm making all of these helpful habits and i'm losing i feel leaner my clothes fit better but i just need scale weight just to confirm it and i think it's just people i just yeah i wish someone had said that to me like i don't know 10 years ago when i started weighing myself properly and i just wish that someone was like why are like what is the benefit of it and i don't know if it, i know there was a control thing and i think if you really look into it if it's a control thing you need to think about why if that's beneficial yeah absolutely and i had this conversation recently actually because when i feel a lot of people start to introduce uh, you know all of those previously restricted foods into their diet or perhaps start to introduce more rest days um, to manage over exercising they do start to weigh themselves more regularly as a way to feel in control it's almost like oh, this is my evidence that I can still eat all those foods and I'm not gaining weight. But it can it can be helpful, actually, because then that can actually support that belief you've got that, oh, my God, if I start to introduce all those foods, I'll gain weight. So then you've got that as evidence against. But also, if you experience those normal weight fluctuations that we we're just discussing, then that can ruin your whole day, it ruins your mood, and then you can easily go back into those unhelpful behaviors, restrict again, not eat those foods again or even end up then binge eating yeah i've had clients in the past before now where i can tell the mood of a client i can tell what their mood of the check-in is going to be by looking at their scale weight and it doesn't matter what their habits are what's happened in that week but if they if i look at their scale weight i can say i know what their check-in is going to be and those obviously tend to be the clients that i would have taken scale weight away from at that point but it was almost like you could just tell this is going to be they're going to have had a challenging week this week and they didn't it's just that they weighed themselves and then did their check-in and it's completely reflective of that it's really interesting i think everyone has to hold themselves a little bit accountable to that yeah um did i have you got another question no, that's all the questions I've got. Okay. Unfortunately. Uh, body checking. How much is too much? I notice that I do this daily. When I wake up, I habitually look in the mirror and any time that I'm not fully dressed and walk past it at home, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not fixated. I know I'm fixated on my stomach and rarely look anywhere else. Some days I don't think anything of it. Some days I think I look good. And then there are other days where I recognise I'm not as lean as I have been previously, which can make me feel down. Is this something I should try to stop? Great awareness there, though. Mm. I mean, just just even being aware that your body checking, I think it's great progress because we do tend to do it subconsciously a lot of the time. So it's it's a great step. Mm. To, to move forward. A, a good. I would. There's no upper limit of too much, really. A cup, like checking yourself in the mirror before you go out, f- fine. I would say if you're checking yourself in the mirror for no other reason other than to look at parts of your body that you don't like, then that's then that's not great. I, you know, there's not uncertain number of times. One thing you can try is when you when you get up at say when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you're in this case your eyes go to your stomach think about sit down so not at the time get your journal out think about when I look in the mirror and my eyes go to my stomach what thoughts do I have write down the thoughts that you have and so those thoughts might be you know I don't know I don't like my stomach my stomach's source fat whatever those thoughts might be and then after it write down how that feels so you feel frustrated you feel um i don't know irritated um low mood etc and then think about what alternative thoughts could you have about your body when you look in the mirror so for example um i obviously don't know this clients but let's say um you have a thought that is much more neutral like i don't know 
my stomach helps me digest all my nutrients or um, my body helps me go to work today you know like all of the body neutrality affirmations that we use and then write write down some alternative thoughts they have to come from you they can't come from me or Anna or Di. they have to come from you and then write down okay well close your eyes and imagine that you had that thought when you looked in the mirror think about the emotions that would come from that and write down the feelings and the emotions that would come from that and then think okay well you have an option here when you look in the mirror yes it might feel like it's out of control it might feel like you can't help it but you absolutely can help it you just have to train yourself into this new habit of saying when i look in the mirror i have these thoughts as opposed to these thoughts i have these neutral thoughts about my body i have this one or two affirmations and you don't need to then think about the emotions because you know the emotions that are going to come up from that because you've already done the work prior to that and i think with body checking it's one of those things that people assume is really hard to break out of but actually it's just holding yourself accountable to it it's it's not as hard to get out of as you think it is if you go through this type of process and you start to call yourself out for it and I say this as someone who competed and used to literally look in the mirror all the time any second in car windows etc I was that person and now I well I mean by the look at me I don't check the mirror at all <laughs> oh, but you know hey that's such is life so it can be done mm, yeah I did when I struggled with body checking I only had one mirror and I don't know where the realization came from but it was just at that height that angle that the only thing you'd see if I walked by like because it was one of the ones on a dressing tables so the only thing if you walked by would be my stomach so I just switched the angle of it and that was that that was like a huge game changer because I just never saw it it wasn't like a an avoidance thing it just that wasn't the first thing I saw when I got up mm, that's smart that's very smart I have a big so oh sorry I have a big mirror like in my kitchen wall it's like a huge wall length mirror and when I work down there I've started working down there and I realize I just keep looking at my face and for me I don't mind my body at all but for me my face is if I ever feel low about something it goes my face and then so then I've got a light and I put it over that's got a really warm bulb in it and whenever I work down there now I have the warm bulb I have my candles and I have some flowers there so that when I look up um, if I look in the mirror I look nice and ethereal ethereal <laughs> yeah surrounded by a garden <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah Love that, you know these are the things we have to do and is that self-care yeah I yeah totally resonate with that I cannot avoid mirrors in my flat unfortunately because we're renting and there are mirrors all over the place that's part of like they're embedded in the wall almost that you cannot remove them uh but it, it's it's been interesting it was a good challenge when i moved in but also i think what is really helpful if if you are someone that you cannot avoid mirrors that there are still things that can be quite helpful especially just reminding yourself that it you know bringing it back to that element of compassion it's normal that we'll have days that we don't like how our face looks or how our body looks uh and just understanding that you know we all experience that can take that pressure away in a sense but also, I think with the body checking and with the mirrors, especially, um, I was explaining that to someone the other day, actually, how if, if, if someone is doing it to, to almost um, see that they have not gained fat, right? They're going in the mirror to check that, okay, let's make sure I'm, I'm still I'm lean, I haven't gained any fat in my stomach. It's almost like you are looking for that fatness and because you are looking for it, it's like your brain finds a way to see it there. It's that confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. So you're very much likely to get a whole like distorted view in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and your vision gets narrowed down because you're focusing on one specific area and everything else gets forgetted about the, you know, the wider room you're in or your whole body. That's such a good point. I think when that's such a good point because there's nothing we like more than being right. And that's when we fall into self-fulfilling prophecies. I um, I self-sabotage. And so look, we self-sabotage. I have stored my belly fat on my belly. And not that you manifest that to store there, but you start to notice it more and you start to see it more. I think we have to let go of trying to be right all the time and, and actually, or at least reframe our thoughts so that we're not telling ourselves those stories that we don't want to be right, but we say it enough times that it becomes true again that is not manifesting that's not what I mean 
I feel, yeah, <laughs> I've not got my crystals on me today. Um, okay. Period paranoia. So on your story, I'm a savage bitch for that and I wonder why we do it. <laughs> Preach. Preach. Yeah, I put it on my story because, so I found as I've got in, up into my 30s and upwards into my 30s that my PMS has gotten worse and worse and worse and I swear it's the universe being like fucking have a child I'm just going to make you this hell for you until you get pregnant like I swear there's some sort of evolutionary reason for it but physiologically I don't know what that means (laughs) um and then and but paranoia is something that I never really had before and then more recently when I've been drinking alcohol I've been getting a bit paranoid which I've never had that before and then so I stopped really drinking much alcohol fine but then with PMS I've been getting really bad paranoia um and so that was unheard of for me so I'd put it on my story and actually a lot of people do deal with it and it seems to be almost as common as all of the other PMS symptoms and logically it makes sense because there's not enough research into why we get all of these mood swings and that's because you know patriarchy and money and to female hormones is minimal so they don't really know why this happens we know that our estrogen and progesterone fluctuates we know that that impacts things like dopamine serotonin so those things impact our mood and but within that comes things like self-esteem um, anxiety and paranoia seems to be more prevalent in people with um, PMDD so when it's really really severe clinical PMS um, it's called PMDD and pa- paranoia doesn't seem to come under the normal bracket of PMS in general when you look at um, symptoms and stuff and even in research I was looking at some of it but it, I think it's because when they, you, they look at paranoia in research they class it as like clinical paranoia as opposed to just kind of feeling what I think we a lot of us feel is just insecure and I think the insecure then manifests as paranoia we start to think well I'm not good enough and then we convince ourselves of stories that are not necessarily true and I think that's more of the paranoia that we get with PMS and potentially fear fear or whatever um but yeah I don't know if any of you experienced it or had clients that had that have talked about that I've I've had a client with PMDD that did that struggled with it a lot um it it was managed with medication but it wasn't I think it was still a struggle Mm. yeah good you did I well I'm the anxiety queen so my PMS just makes it worse (laughs) (laughs) it does adds on top of it doesn't it yeah, and I think paranoia is just part of that anxiety as well a lot of the times, right? And it depends. I think everyone will have the different areas that they feel insecure about. If someone, you know, if for some people that area is looks, they're more likely to have paranoia thoughts around looks. If for someone else's relationship, perhaps you're more likely to feel anxious in the relationship or in your career or that imposter syndrome might be louder during those days. Mm-hmm. So I think it depends. But knowing what your triggers are, I think it's something really helpful, Right. Because then it's almost like you're expecting that it's going to happen. And again, it's about recognizing it, knowing the function, why it's there, not being able to over-identify with the experience as much. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of why I was talking about it on my story about the paranoia thing, because I thought that's not normal for me, I don't think. But it's good to know that not not normal as in not to expect it and fall into self-fulfilling prophecy. But if I notice, oh, it's day 26 and I feel paranoid, I can be like, oh, probably irrational it's probably you know those things with it so yeah uh a question yes i don't know if we've had one similar or not i can't remember so i'm going to ask it anyway um is there research into the pill just completely killing your libido when i think about it i honestly don't think i've ever really had one been on the pill for 10 11 years I don't know the research behind it, so I'm not going to pretend that I do, but the rationale for it impacting your sex drive is absolutely there. Mechanistically, because you're having, it depends on the type of pill you're taking as well, but because you're taking these exogenous hormones, they are going to impact your libido. So 
in some way probably so the rationale is there i would say if your libido has been very low since you started taking the pill and nothing else has been consistent in that time then i would say potentially yeah and that, that might be something i would actually look at if you if you care about that which i think you probably do if you're asking this question um but remember sex drive is also not for women especially sex drive a lot of the time is psychological and it's to do with feeling like um emotionally connected when we feel emotionally connected and respected that's when we have a we generally see these fluctuations in our sex drive so i don't know your relationship status i don't know you know maybe you've not been in a situation where you felt connected to someone or maybe you've your relationship that you've had in the past have not been they've not been connected and it's you need to look at i think the other potential reasoning behind it but it does sound like it came on when you started taking the pill. So I would suggest maybe trying a different type of pill. Yeah, I I think we both had a laugh about this because I started after being off the pill for five, six years, went back on and then the pandemic hit. So lol. <laughs> <laughs> Optimistic. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, but I noticed a massive change in well how I felt day to day and libido and then came off it because I didn't like I just didn't feel as in tune with my body as I had done yeah did you notice your libido went down when you started taking it yeah did you yeah yeah I know and everyone has different everyone has different side effects with the pill and everyone has the decision to make for themselves I don't take it but sort of similar reasons too I like to be I feel more connected with myself but that certainly doesn't mean that that's the same for everyone by any stretch of imagination and you feel more yeah. connected to yourself when you're also not pregnant so you know you've got to weigh that up yeah absolutely I've never taken the pill but then again I never had to because I never had any strong PMS symptoms or anything like that mm. I just don't have sex so I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> solves all the problems there is nothing worse than a low sex drive though if you don't have a low sex drive you know I've had it in the sense of I was in a crap relationship and he was vile and disrespected me so I had no sex drive and there's nothing worse than especially being in a relationship with low sex drive it can and competing be as well and competing yeah. with no hormones I mean com- I mean it was a t- tornado of shit <laughs> but- it was just like the icing on the top that you're like Nah, yeah but do you know what's funny you as a woman you automatically go to there's something wrong with me so despite Mm -hmm. the fact that my boyfriend at the time was very disrespectful and lots of things were wrong there I still said it's because I'm competing and I don't have hormones it's still me it's my body it's it's I'm broken because of what I'm doing to my body it's not because you're punching holes in the wall it's because I have no hormones and it's so I think it's so easy for us to go into that narrative especially for a relationship where the man supports that narrative we have to really look at ourselves and say is it actually this or is it potentially maybe there's something else going on yeah no that's spot on totally agree with that i think it's easy to you know i think we do that with most of the things don't we every time something goes wrong it's our automatic reaction to blame ourselves mm. and not think about all of the other things perhaps it could be not me, I believe in <laughs> I'm always like, this is your fault, not mine. <laughs> Too much of that. But that, that's the other extreme of the spectrum. Yeah. I think that, again, I think that happens in your therapy. It's like, nope, <laughs> get away. Um, okay, change of pace. Any veggie dinner inspiration or any veggie meals that you're both loving, well, all three of us are loving at the moment, if any of you guys have veggie meals? Yes. I've been enjoying yours. I mean, they are very much similar to mine. <laughs> like lentils, halloumi, maybe a dollop of yogurt because I overdo the chili quite frequently. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you have, do you, are you veggie or do you eat veggie? Uh, I try to be plant-based, but it's not always succeeding. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. see some of the meals you have with Steph and there's a heck of a lot of meat. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> First of all, uh, disclaimer: I am Greek, <laughs> so I've been brought, <laughs> so I've been brought up in an environment with lots of uh, meat, so I do love it. Um, but yeah, I try to find the balance uh, during the week when I get to cook and stuff, and then when I go out, I tend to have it more because I don't cook red meat, especially. I don't know how to cook it well. 
so I very rarely have it. But we also have really good veggie dishes in Greece that are actually delicious. And one I love is cooking peas in olive oil and tomato sauce with carrots and potato. What's that called? Um, well, I don't know. In Greek, it's called arakas. But it's basically, it's slow cooked though, and that's what makes it so yummy. So it's just, yeah, peas, slow cooked in tomato sauce with olive oil, and then you add carrots and, and tomato, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, and potatoes. And it's actually really good. But then we also do things in the uh, oven baked stuff with aubergine and potato, and you can even add cheese if you eat cheese, but you can make it vegan without cheese or curries that are vegetarian, chickpea curry with coconut. I like that. I I used a Lord Lucy recipe recently. I was going to say the peanut butter one. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it was, what's it called? It's called peanut butter, uh, peanut butter, coconut and chickpea curry, I think it was called. Oh, my word, it's heavenly. Lucy Lord, if you, you don't even need to get a cookbook, although her cookbook is fantastic. Um, if you go onto her website, she's got so many recipes and most of it's stuff that is not really obscure. Like most of it's all quite accessible and she's done that for a reason. Um, but you can always edit a little bit to suit your needs. Um, I love at the moment i discovered a new corn product yesterday actually in sainsbury's which was called like peri peri corn and it was just you just fry it and that was really nice but i love just a giant bowl of salad with a giant dollop of greek yogurt and then an aldi probably do them in little too you get like um you know like microwave for rice but they're mixed lentils yes. or quinoa and stuff and, and so i always get those little bags and have half a bag of that on top of the salad and then halloumi or corn and then I always scoop it up with poppadoms because I love poppadoms of course um that's my favorite veggie meal at the, at the moment and I love smoothies at the moment for like with whey protein ice a frozen banana and then some random frozen fruit at the moment I've got nectarines and peaches blended that all together and then t- to make like a big smoothie bowl and then top it with like coconut and peanut butter and fresh fruit that's very delicious I'm on that for lunches at the moment well for the first part of my lunch and then I have a bagel because you know it's <laughs> balance yeah well, I can't just have food it's not sufficient for me let's be honest um, love that yeah now I'm hungry um Anna question um since dieting without tracking any calories or macros I don't know my daily totals so my question is, I've often heard that it's best to reduce calories slowly to ensure to keep progress with fat loss, maybe taking out a couple of hundred calories when fat loss stalls. Therefore, with me not tracking, I could be eating very little straight away and leave myself with nowhere to go in terms of cutting more calories. Will my progress stall much quicker or is that theory not quite right? Great, great question. Um, the nowhere to go thing is quite an outdated um, PTs will still use it sometimes um, with good intention but it's quite an outdated narrative if you are consistently eating let's say you were consistently eating 1200 calories your maintenance levels are never going to reach 1200 calories they, they're just not um, so if you were consistently eating 1200 calories, you would consistently lose weight and you would never have to change. Like when I used to prep, I think I would change my macros maybe once the whole prep and I would do really long prep sometimes because if you set them low enough in the first place, it's, it's starvation. You don't, people don't starve to death because ultimately their maintenance never reaches to the point where they're the level that they're consuming the reason that we don't do that often is because it doesn't support you with healthful habits and it's harder to adhere to so you end up eating more um rapid weight loss long term is not a healthful way to go and you're more likely to regain weight afterwards often but not always so that's why we don't do it but if you're doing it in a non-tracking way is the, probably one of the really most helpful ways you can do it and you're dropping body fat then you don't even have to worry about it if you don't drop body fat it means you're not eating you're eating at maintenance again so all you need to just go do is look at where you're eat, what you're eating for a few weeks and think maybe where have I, my portion size has creeped up a little bit maybe I can bring them down a little bit but 
you don't need to worry about that whatsoever. No, she's still making progress week on week. Everything's heading in the right direction. So I don't think she has anything to worry about. Okay. Maybe an awkward one. I don't know what this is going to say. Maybe <laughs> an awkward one. I should look at these before I say them. But now that you, okay, now that you've stopped competing for several years and are much more into trying new stuff and letting things go, if you would go back on stage, would you dance? I remember a video of you saying a big no. My goodness, my dancing skills. Can any of you guys dance, first of all? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's clearly not a team skill. I, I look like I'm having some sort of fit when I dance. I'm awkward, I'm lanky. Oh, what I just don't. I have absolutely no rhythm at all. I don't either. I remember, I remember Carlton trying to teach you one night, uh, a night out, and I was like, just don't even try. I, I, that boy can dance, and I just was like, I cannot, I cannot do it. I can't. So no, I would never. I would. I dance on stage at school. But, <laughs> I mean, that's that's not even awkward. That's just a straight up. Nope. <laughs> you know what though I have started getting into in the mornings when I make my coffee putting on a little mix song and dancing in my kitchen that's been a recent thing for me yeah I'm enjoying that yeah I was about to say okay. I was about to say I love uh, like just putting you know, music in the house and dancing and I think I've also recommended to some of my clients before when they were in the, in the evening alone cooking or they were experiencing urges with binge eating as a way to de to, to distract yourself I'm going completely off topic here but it's <laughs> it can actually be such a great thing to do because it's a bit active and enjoyable and it gets you to move and get out of your body mm -hmm. uh and i think it also it helps you embrace your body in a different way almost so i i've it's actually it's helped me a lot personally with my own relationship with my body but yeah if no i would never do that in public <laughs> <laughs> let's, put, yeah, let's put it that way <laughs> Oh, I went through a stage of trying to learn how to twerk. And then my friend who's a, who's a exotic dancer, she was like, you need to flick the fat, flick the fat. Cause so my friend used to compete with me. She won't mind saying this, Sage. She used to compete with me and we both did British finals together, um, came top three and then we both quit. And she was like, I just make, I make much more money when I'm not dieting. Um, and so we went to California and she and I said, I just really would love to be able to twerk. And she said, you're just trying to use too much muscle. You need to think about all the fat on your butt and think about just flicking it. And I remember just doing it. <laughs> we were going out and she was like, flick the fat. <laughs> like not, I just can't do it. So, so yeah, I've had it's never going to happen. Um, if anyone has any twerking tips, hit me up for my kitchen dancing. <laughs> yeah, my mission wasn't accomplished either. <laughs> I, I have a friend who is a, a belly dancer teacher and she was trying to teach me how to belly dance, but it, it's what Anna is saying. I'm so bad at getting the rhythm. But I think, but then again, I feel I haven't practiced enough either because it's one of those things, right? That maybe you feel that you don't have it, but that's what it is, and I that's what it is. You just not practice enough. <laughs> you just need to practice some more. I'm really sure if you do it every single day, there's gonna be oh. some form of improvement. No, like we just you, you just can't be good at everything, you know. And, and this is our thing, clearly. But skateboarding though. Um, skateboarding, yeah. Um I don't know, question. How to remain positive and focused when faced with adversity? Is there a simple tool you use to remind yourself to keep pushing forward rather than having that fuck it moment and give in to the primitive brain of this is the last time of overeating? I think there is an element of practicing some sort of acceptance. I think radical acceptance would be really relevant uh, here basically just ac accepting what has happened and although uncomfortable or difficult or hard it might be. Uh, and it's what we keep saying, right? What we resist persists uh, in a way. So we don't wanna add more to our own suffering by resisting what's going on or adding more judgment um, to the situation. So just accepting and then the other part is the compassion, I think that can be really helpful and understanding that everyone experiences moments of, of adversity and if that's overeating then we'll all overeat and it's completely normal and expected to happen 
and then bringing it back to because I feel a lot of times people are aware that if they accept something it will continue to happen all the time but actually then it's when you're able to reconnect with your values and move forward in a way that aligns with that and take action that will actually support you so what's going to really support me now to to move forward and looking back what did I learn from those moments of adversity almost reframing it to something positive mm. yeah like that um I was listening to something the other day and they said the average emotion lasts seven minutes this was a I think it was a Harvard researcher seven minutes so I like that because sit with that and think if you're in the in this moment of adversity adversity might not feel like it only lasts seven minutes it might last weeks depending on what's going on for you right but the average emotion lasts seven minutes so in that moment and there's three things that keep us at the kind of you know when we talk about surfing the urge there's three things that keep us at the very top of that like deny said suppression or avoiding that emotion what we resist persists if we consistently have a negative thought pattern about that emotion so i feel adverse i feel adverse it's <laughs> definitely not the right terminology there but you I shouldn't that, feel sad. yeah yeah i shouldn't feel that way and we keep having these kind of negative thought process that's going to keep us in the emotion too so thinking about accepting so rather than suppression thinking about what are the negative thought patterns i'm telling myself here is there any way that when you're not in that situation that you can think about but that's the thought pattern that usually goes through my head what alternative thoughts can i have to take me through that moment and coming back to those in the moment and the third thing is when we actually act on our emotions so something that I think is really a really key point for everyone to think about is that emotions we don't want to avoid our emotions we don't want to suppress our emotions but our emotions are just emotions they're not actions the emotion comes first and then we say am I going to act in this with this emotion or am I going to accept this I'm going to name it this this feels like adversity okay fine that doesn't mean adversity means that I eat adversity doesn't mean that I do x y and z it's just there and I think really trying to remember that emotion is just it's a directive to say this is something that I'm feeling but it's not a behavior that you have to act on and taking ownership that says I don't have to act on anything that comes into my head I choose that's a conscious choice that I'm making to do something in response to that emotion so it's, it's easy to say that stuff on paper but really working through that what that means for you journaling on it next time that comes up name it say that I have this feeling and and see if you can say right this is just an emotion that I'm feeling and this emotion is going to pass like saying that out loud can be quite helpful and quite empowering I can't remember is is this well maybe maybe if I say it and then you can say whether it's right or not <laughs> but um like, like I think you've said this to me in one of my check-ins is that you can sit with it kind of give yourself a timeline a time timer um to sit with it but then after that that's it you you move on and it's not to say that you're not allowing yourself to feel it you are you're giving that emotion the time and space that it needs but you're not allowing it to consume the rest of your headspace and take up too much energy so much that yeah I think yeah. I I think I started discovering that as an idea of it was called the grief tunnel I was gonna say but I didn't know I was like yeah I remember I think I did a post on it and you were like oh yes the grief tunnel I was like you never told me that <laughs> when I had to do it <laughs> I think I'd heard about it as something like that and then we reframed it as to yeah a feeling that says <laughs> and do you know what it's really useful when we don't want to avoid it like you said but when you feel that you may be not that you were doing this Anna but when you feel like you're maybe wallowing or something is really taking up to more time than you have the energy to give it over a prolonged period and it's affecting your actions and it's affecting your thought processes that's when you can think okay let's put something in place grief for example that takes as long as it takes but for me at the time I was going through some a grieving process and I and it got to the point where it was just all consuming and I couldn't I couldn't fathom how to stop thinking about things and so it was for me it was like right this is my 20 minute walk in the morning I can let my brain I can tell myself all the stories I want to tell I can say what if this and what if that and I can cry and I can do all these things but when I get back to 
to to the flat I'm back on with my work and exactly like you said it can be really helpful just to say yeah. if you feel that in the moment I'm going to give myself five minutes and then I'm going to move on yeah exactly and I think the way I, I explain it to to clients quite a lot it's almost like again there's a massive difference when you're using a, di a distraction as a way to soothe yourself in the moment while you've still acknowledged the emotion and you've allowed yourself to sit with it versus when you don't even acknowledge the emotion and you're suppressing by doing something right because with all of our with all of the things we're using a distraction we're going to use them as a way to numb or suppress which is more unhelpful because we don't acknowledge what we're feeling but we can use it simply as a way to support ourselves in the process of allowing ourselves to be with emotions when it gets up especially when it get gets up in that peak like and get really uncomfortable like let's say if you're in the peak of emotion you decide to maybe do a meditation it's not you avoiding the emotion it's actually just supporting yourself to ride that uh wave and get on the uh other side but i think i totally agree with you there's the, the main thing here is that trust right that, that emotion will will subside and i really like to see it as energy because emotions are energy right so every time i you know feel an intense feeling i literally visualize it as energy moving through my body uh and saying things to yourself that you're safe and that your body needs to feel that feeling at, right now and if you don't let it that energy will be trapped sounds very spiritual but if it works it works yeah <laughs> hey you're speaking to me and Anna spiritual is <laughs> I had a great chat with uh Dan Smith yesterday <laughs> and I was like welcome to hippy dippy coaching this is how we do <laughs> oh yeah Anna was on a podcast with what was the podcast is it a podcast or was it no so this is for OFB um people doing OFB oh yeah I does that mean I can't listen I honestly don't know <laughs> he was like I'll let you know when it goes live all right well I don't think I'm in the group so I can't see it but <laughs> yeah actually I didn't watch my own so I probably but <laughs> oh what a treat and I was like this is uh yeah uh, I even said to him because I did at the beginning of the year I did uh the OFB launch group and I said to him we had that chat in the I'm um, I'm likely going to be a bit of a challenge for Sook and how he does how he uh, does his normal business coaching. Yeah, and you were, I'm sure. <laughs> In the first week, I was like, can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> Not like everyone else. <laughs> nope. Better than, better than. Um, I think we'll leave it there, actually because we've had some great questions as always keep your questions coming in no matter who which coach you are working with we want all of your questions about anything and everything thank you both very much thank you thank you bye thank you thank you for listening everyone